If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance where humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers about horse welfare. Internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Now we're talking about communication here today and Helen Rogerson, who has been a guest before on um, episode number 537, is back. And she's going to talk to us about 10 elements of leadership between human and horse. How are you, Helen? I'm very well. Thank you, Glennis. Thanks for asking. And yourself? Yeah, very good. Very good. And Helen, um, we're just sort of chatting. We had a bit of rain last night. It's pretty windy outside. So hopefully we've got no oh, rain yes. comes through in the recording. It's pretty good at the moment. That's good. I'm, I'm yeah. pleased. It's very windy here and it's drying <laughs> up all our rain that we had last night, which isn't a good thing. No, no, we didn't have much there, did we? No, very little. So, Helen, last time you were on, we sort of went through, we talked about how, um, you know, you're in the corporate sector and then you've sort of brought that across into equine. Now your background's in leadership, but we did basically touch on the 10 elements, and I said, look, can you come back and talk a lot more about this? So these 10 elements of leadership between human and horse, just give us a bit of background in, you know, the interaction between humans and horses. I know you've done quite a lot of study, and it's no surprise that you can do a lot with horses and with leadership, and there's been a lot of studies. It's not learning that's new. But tell us a little bit about why these 10 elements, you know, why this particular subject? Okay, so I guess uh, as I said in our earlier interview, I come from a corporate background, Mm. so I've worked in learning and development HR, and so what I've developed is a leadership framework which helps leaders in the workplace be better leaders and move from good to great. And that leadership framework, it's called the Leadership EQ Framework, applies equally to horses as it does to humans, so the horse-human relationship as, a, as opposed to the human-human relationship. So mm-hmm. what I'm going to go, go through is each of them today and just give you a little bit of a, a brief understanding of each. And I will make some analogies between the corporate world and the, and the horse world. So um, how does that sound? I'd like to have the, the combination too because this is not just about, you know, people if they're interested in, you know, delivering any sort of equine-assisted learning. It's also going to apply to coaches, to business owners, and to people just within their own families, this whole leadership and how you're using it. It's it's something that's sort of right through our society, isn't it, the leadership? And look, absolutely. So, mm. you know, if I can talk to you about what the leadership framework is. It's yep, about be being proactive and planning before implementing, and that applies to everyone. So if you own a horse, this will apply. All that simply is is a matter of taking a proactive and planned approach to your relationship and your leadership and interaction with your with your horse. So 
in the workplace, for example, and, and most people out there have been in the workplace, they may still be in the workplace, there used to be an old management style which was very dominant and controlling and directive. And today in the workplace, it's about having relationships based on trust, confidence, communication and respect. And we can make the same analogy in the horse world. So the way we interact with horses today has changed so much from the old days of breaking in a horse mm. where it was about dominance and control. Yes. So our equine relationships, just like our human relationships, are about trust and confidence, communication and respect. So our conversation today is going to be based on the premise that you need to be a leader for your horse. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're looking at. And so as a leader, you need to provide them with the environment where they can perform at their best. Okay. So just as I believe that to be a leader in the work, con you need to have a leader in the work context, I believe that you need to have a leader in the horse-human relationship as well. Now, just as most leaders in business don't actively have a leadership plan for their business, most equine leaders, I call that all horse owners or an equine leader, you don't actually have a plan for your leadership with your horse. So this is where I come in. I'm, I'm going to go through 10 elements today. And the 10 elements we'll, we'll touch on is context, self, task, individual, team, trust, communication, respect, confidence and clarity. And so when we talk about the very first one, context, what I'd like you to think about is draw a box, draw a big box. And in that box is everything that we do in our leadership context. So for us, that's our, that's our horse relationship. Our context is the horse-human relationship. But it could be your context might well be a business relationship. So for, Glenis, for example, Glenis, I know that you have your training organisation. You are absolutely a leader in that context just as someone else is a leader at home with their family. But what we're looking at today is the context is the horse. And whether it's one horse or 10 horses that you'll work with, this is about your particular discipline. This is your context. So it could be riding a horse. It could be simply owning a horse. And, okay. and something that I want to touch on, touch on as well is that you don't have to be a rider you can simply own a horse and have a horse in your back paddock that you love to see and that in itself is in a leadership context okay yep yep and i think that's good i think that you know horses is not just all about riding and if we can um, absolutely not. do a lot of other communication a lot of other work with them and it doesn't all have to be riding yeah now who a leader is self-leadership okay so let's now we, i've got you all to think about a box Mm -hmm. Now, draw in the middle of that box a small circle. This is you. This is you as a leader. So it's about self-leadership. So before leading others, you have to lead yourself. We are giving out energy all the time. And this energy that we're giving out through a variety of means, we'll touch on those, is a reflection of what our inner thoughts and feelings are. So everyone knows Bart Butterman. He has a famous quote that says, the horse is a mirror to your soul, and sometimes you might not like what you see in the mirror. So before you even go out to the horse, you need to look at yourself, be centred, be in control, understand yourself. It's quite interesting. Warwick Schuller has done a lot of work in the area over the past couple of years, and if you go onto his YouTube, his most recent YouTube post, you'll actually see that he talks a lot about making sure that you're in the right mental state before you go anywhere near your horse because your mental state impacts your relationship with your horse. So as soon as your horse sees you, he's making a judgment about you. He's 
assessing you and he's determining your suitability to enter a relationship, your suitability as a leader. Um, what I want to talk about then is the ability of a horse to read your mind. He looks at you, and I use the term, Just I just want to preface this, I use the term he because most of my horses are gildings. I've got five years, which four are gildings. So I'm really used to calling them he. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll just use that term all the way through if that's okay. So so your horse, when he sees you, he's making decisions about you. Are you safe? Are you a predator? What's going to be your relationship? Are you a leader? Are you not? So... You have, before you go up to the horse, you're having thoughts and emotions running through your mind. Now, your thoughts and emotions are being read by the horse. There's a concept called the ideomotor response. And the ideomotor, spelled I-D-E-O, motor, M-O-T-O-R, one word, as it sounds, is about you have an idea and then there's an automatic response in your body. Your muscles contract or they expand and you get out a message. You don't even realize it. So when you have a thought, you have small muscular movements and you react, your body reacts in some way. Now, a horse can both see, and if you're on him, can feel these muscular constrictions. On the ground, he'll see it in your body and your face if you're tense. If you're on a horse, he'll feel this through your hands, your arms, your legs, your seat. You're giving him cues all the time. You don't even know that you're giving it. So, So yes, the horse does actually read your mind but he reads the cues that you give out. Interestingly, this concept um, is a learned behaviour. So a young horse isn't as adept as an older horse at picking up your ideomotor cues, at picking up your particular cues. Younger horses will learn it the more interaction they have with humans. I suppose that the more interaction a horse has with a particular human as well, isn't it? You know, a a horse that's been owned by a person for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it is. It's virtually the horse is reading your mind. Mm. He's using all these subconscious cues that you're giving out. Um, I've also personally found, Glennis, that horses that have been mistreated yes. are also experts at reading this response because they're hypervigilant. Yes. Um, very similar to humans that have been mistreated in some way. They're highly sensitive. And I've also found, too, that from a breed perspective, Arabs seem to be more attuned to this than some other horses. Um, Arabs are highly sensitive horses when it comes to reading uh, really slight body cues. And mm. um, now I, I know that I've had a I had a horse have a horse twinkle toes, and when I first got him, he was scary because I used to hop on him, and I used to think, oh, I might go in this direction now, and suddenly we'd be going in that direction. I'd be thinking to myself, goodness, I haven't given this horse any cues. What's <laughs> going on here? Um, and I'd think, oh, I want to stop now, and the horse would stop. And it, it was actually really quite scary, mm-hmm. and um, it, it almost felt like I didn't have control because mm-hmm. I wasn't aware of my muscles getting him this cue. He was highly, highly attuned and still is today, but it was actually quite frightening to experience, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm getting old and my body isn't responding. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just that he was so highly attuned to uh, to people. He had been mistreated, and, again, I think that was one of the reasons why he was so highly attuned. Mm. So that ideomotor response that we don't even know we're giving, yep. yes, horses can actually read what our thoughts are. So if we go out to a horse and we're angry yep. um, or we're upset, uh, the horse will sense that, and he will reflect back to us. Our, our behaviour. But it doesn't only stop with the ideomotor response. It also leads to smell. And can I give you an example of, of, sure, absolutely. Um, of yep. that through smell? So 
There's been research that's been conducted both in humans and, and with horses in that we can actually smell each other and we can smell fear in each other. So when we're physically sweating, we give off a different pheromone to what we give off when, we are, when we're afraid is a different pheromone that's attached to our sweat. And that's what horses can actually pick up. So there's been research done in humans in the US uh, at Stony Brook University and also uh, over in Duffeldorf, Duffeldorf University in, the, um, in Europe, as well as some recent research that's been published about how horses can actually smell human fear. So, so the research is there. Um, it's actually really interesting that the, this particular research was funded by the Department of Defence in the US because wow. obviously they're interested in, in identifying what the fear ceremony is so that they can use it as a um, as a tool in mm. in battle. So mm. it's really interesting. But horses can pick it up. And if you look look at horses, they've got huge nose. They've got very well-developed sense of smell. So if you go out to a horse and you're, you're feeling uh, afraid, at least the horse can actually smell that. Um, so they they pick up our emotions through our body language and our, our smell and also our breathing. You know, one of the big things I can advise anyone is to breathe when you're around a horse. If you hold your breath, that instantly says to a horse, goodness, there must be something scary around because yeah. the human is holding their breath. Anyone who's been on a horse when they're out riding in a forest and you hear a, a kangaroo or something in the bush, the horse, what does he do? He stops breathing. Yes. And so for a horse, if you're not breathing, it's it indicates to him that there is something around to be afraid of. So being aware of your breathing. So being aware of your, your body cues, your breathing and your smell, all of those could actually help you be more effective once you get to your horse. So being aware of those and controlling those before you get to any, anywhere close to your horse because he will pick up how you're feeling. He'll pick mm -hmm. up your thoughts. He'll pick up your emotions. And once you, you realise this, it, it's really amazing. It then means you have to be centred. You have to perhaps do a little uh, meditative activity um, or really be mindful of how you're interacting with, with those around you and, and obviously your horse. So this applies not only to horse but also to people, but today we're looking at it in the horse context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now all of those things, you know, I'm just imagining there. So this is to do with self-leadership. So I'm thinking a leader does task in individual team. Talk to us a little bit more now about what a leader does. Sure. So a leader, so I asked you to draw a little circle in the middle yes, of that square. Yes. So what I want you to do yep. now is draw around that circle mm -hmm. and around that circle is what a leader does. So this first, what we first touched on is who a leader is. This next one is what a leader does because a leader has to do three things. They have to get the task done, they have to understand and support the individual, and they have to create and develop the team. So there's the three functions of a leader. So let's look at the very first one here, which is getting the, the task done. And so what this is, is define the task, both for you and your horse. What is it that you want to achieve, both today and long term? So if you're out riding today, what's your objective? And let's say, let's take something that we all perceive as simple. I want to go out for a, a ride on the trail or a, tra a track, and I just want to be relaxed. I want to have a nice, relaxing ride. Sounds simple, doesn't it? But when we look at this goal, we realise it's got many, many subparts. So if you don't mind, I'm going to break it down. So first of all, to go out and have a lovely, relaxing ride, you have to catch your horse. So you want to be able, step one is you want to be able to catch your horse easy. You've got to be able to brush your horse, lift his feet, clean his feet. 
You want to be able to saddle and bridle him easily without him moving away. You want him to stand still while you get on. You want to go forward when you ask and to stop when you ask. You want him to listen to your cues. You want him to stay calm when that car or motorbike goes past. You want to be able to ultimately ride him on a loose rein. You want him not to shy at the mailboxes or white posts that you go past. You want him to walk back home, not pulling or jogging to try to get home in a hurry. You want him to stand still when you get off. You want him to stand quietly while you unsaddle and unbridle. You want him to stand there while you hose him down and scrape the water off. And then you want him to walk calmly with you back to the paddock or stable. Sure. That yep. one goal of simply going out for a relaxing ride has so many subparts. Mm. So if you've got so many goals, you might have a big goal, but you've got to think about each of these as a particular task. So for me to achieve my big goal, I've got to break it down and achieve my little goals first. So what do each of those involve? And am I telling my horse, communicating with my horse in such a way that he understands that? So it's about having a goal, being clear in your own mind what you want to achieve. You know, you you may be... Today might be the day that you actually say, well, I'm going to practice my side passes today. And my goal today is to complete three perfect side passes. If you're doing groundwork, your goal might be simply, okay, I want this new horse to take four steps backwards. If I can get him to do that, then that's my goal and that's what I want to achieve. So what I'm saying is about going into something with a very clear goal of what you want to achieve and communicating that with your horse, making sure your horse is aware of this too. Mm-hmm. The other thing with tasks is that to achieve a task, you've got to have the right tools and equipment. Now, this could be space, such as a flat working space around you, jumps, or even a safe bush track. Um, I talked before about if you're going for a trail ride and there might be a motorbike that comes along. If you can, find a track where there's no vehicles initially. Other things in relating in relation to tools and equipment is you know having the right saddle and bridle and making sure they fit correctly. So having the right tools will help you achieve your task easier and quicker. Um, but we have a tendency as humans to overcomplicate things. And, and in the human world, I would challenge people to go into their tack room and to look at all the tack they have that they don't need. Mm. Yes. Have a look at how many bits you own. Chances are you probably have have quite a few. I've been into a, into a tack room where someone's owned every bit known to man. <laughs> and we know it's not the bit that makes the difference. It's actually how you use it. It's the person's hands on the other end. So with your tools, don't overcomplicate things. Keep your tools simple for what you need for your job. The, the other part of okay, getting your task done is planning. Thinking about putting steps in place to achieve your goal. So if we stick with the trial riding example, with the goal of having a calm, relaxing ride, think about when you will do this, where you will go, what you need to do beforehand. It sounds basic, but it gives you focus and puts you in the right mind frame. Remember I said to you before, it's about self and starting with the right mind frame. So planning helps put you in the right mind frame. It gives you focus. Look, you know, we know that if your plan is to take your horse to Grand Prix level, then you have to have a plan. You have to plan out what it is that you're going to do each day. It keeps you committed and it keeps you focused. So if you have a simple plan, write it down. Um, and one of the things that planning can do, it can help you rushing. One of the, the big issues is that, oh, gee, I've only got an hour to be with my horse. I'm running late today and I've only got from two until three to, to go for a ride with my horse and I'm running late and my heart rate goes up and I've got to get yes. this done and I've got to get back home yes. and I've got to do this. Instantly, your heart rate goes up and you put pressure on yourself 
you had a plan, but you need to also go, okay, well, today I'm not going to achieve this plan, so I'm going to adapt it. So rather than go for a ride, I'll spend some time on some groundwork or brush my horse or perhaps I'll just sit there and watch my horse today. So you've also got to be flexible in your planning. So sometimes things come up that you have to go, okay, well, this is going to impact my relationship, myself, and I'm not going to get the best outcome today if I continue with my plan. So a plan not only has to be in place, it also has to be flexible. Does that make sense? Yep, yep, definitely, yep. And I guess just one other thing with horses is is do some budgeting, you know, around a task level. Horses are expensive, we know Mm -hmm. that. Yes. Um, Some of us budget, some of us don't like to budget because we don't want our partner to know how much we're spending (laughs) on our hobby. But, uh, but think about your budget because one of the big challenges and big stresses for for any person is is money. And if you can set in advance saying, okay, well, in January, I've got the farrier coming, I've got the vet coming to get the annual vaccinations, I've got to pay speed, let's budget for that. In February, I've got to do this, I've got to pay competition entry costs, I've got to have fuel to go do this competition. If you forward plan in your budget it can then help give you a sense of control and that helps, again, with your mind that we get back to self. And don't forget, too, that with any budgeting and planning to achieve your tasks, set aside some emergency money because chances are you'll need a vet. So setting budget will help you feel like you're in control of your horse expenditure. So what I'm, what all this is about, the Lynch BQ framework, is about you being proactive and feeling like you're in control of your leadership journey. Okay. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 Careers in the Horse Industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine... Maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. I'm looking at this. Um, well, you're going to say something about the next part. We're going back to the diagram, and I'm cheating yeah. a little bit because I am looking, and I'm drawing it. But I, you know, I know that on leadershipeq.com.au, okay. on the home page is actually a um, a diagram already. So I'm sort of I'm listening to you. I've got my square. I've got my little circle in the middle. I've got the, um, you know, the team individual task on the first circle because I'm copying off that. So I know exactly what you mean. Yes. So sorry, well, carry on. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That's all, and, and look, Lens, what I'll do is I'll make available to you this particular framework as well and yes. you can pop it on on your links to your podcast. Well, we'll do that. We'll have that on horsechats.com. Yeah slash Helen Rogerson too, or just go there and search for Helen. Fabulous. So we talked about the the functions of a leader is to get results, is to get the task done. Yes. So we've talked about tasks. We also need to talk about the leader's function is to know and support the individuals on his or her team. Mm. And this is the individual, for you, it's the individual horse. So it's getting to know 
your each individual horse and understanding that every horse is different. Just so every human is different, every horse is different. And for example, Pat Pirelli in his horse analogies touches on this with horse personalities. So horses are different both physically and psychologically. Now, everyone listening is aware of that. If, if you have had more than one horse in your life, you will realise they are absolutely different. Yes. So the, the challenge with, yeah, the challenge with this, though, is treating each horse according to his individual needs. Now, what I'm actually going to refer to here is something called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, which was developed in the 1960s to explain motivation in humans. So there's five levels that Maslow talks about, of which four are particularly useful to our horse analogies. So let's let's have a look at needs. First of all, an individual horse has to have their physiological needs met. And as a human leader, you are key to this. Your physiological needs for your horse is food, water, shelter, sleep, and health. And it's up to you to ensure that your horse looked after across all those physiological areas. Um, And of course, the more constrained your horse is, the more important that is. So if a horse's physiological needs are not being met, for example, if he's starving or if he's thirsty, he is not going to perform for you at his best. It's as simple as that. If you want your horse to perform the best he can for you, you've got to make sure that these needs are met. So if he's hungry, he's going to put his head down, he's going to eat all the time, he's not going to concentrate on getting the job done. Again, if he's, if he's in pain, we all know that if a horse misbehaves, the first thing you look at is, are they in pain? So he won't perform for you if he's in pain. So as the leader, human leader, you have an obligation to ensure that his physiological needs are being met mm-hmm. and that he's, he's being well looked after. The next area on Maslow's is the concept of safety, keeping your horse safe. Now, there's two parts of this. There's physical safety and psychological safety. So as a leader, the horse wants you to have a safe environment for him. So obviously, we've got got paddocks, we've got physical environment, keeping him away from danger, having fences that aren't lying on the ground where he gets tangled up in. It's logical stuff. But there's also psychological. And that's providing an environment where the horse isn't under, under stress. Because if a horse is under stress, it affects him physically, but it also affects his behaviour. So there's a huge amount these days around horse welfare. And in fact, Horse SA has got one of the world-leading programs in relation to horse welfare. So if I can direct you to the Horse SA website, uh, they've got some wonderful information. I was at a conference recently in Tucson, Arizona, and they were actually brought out up being world leaders in this area. So it's lovely to see that that Australia gets a boom in relation to horse welfare. So it's up to you as a leader to provide a, a physical and psychological safe environment for your horse where he's not afraid, where he feels safe to, to be a horse and not operate in fear. The, the next level of Maslow's hierarchy needs about belonging. Mm-hmm. And we all know if you have a horse, he wants to belong. He wants to be part of the team. Yep. Whether it's be heard or whether it's if you don't have a herd and you only have one horse, then it's his connection with you. He wants that belonging to social animals that are humans. And this is our sense of that I am part of something bigger, that there is a whole group out there who will protect and care for me. So your horse wants to belong. It's about building that relationship with your horse that you and him operate as a team. The, the next level that I'm going to talk about with horses and, and humans is esteem. And 
The way we'll talk about it with horses is giving them recognition and feedback. Now, anyone that has a horse knows that they love being patted and told that they're doing a good job. A horse that performs well in the arena, he knows. Um, even though the research is yet to support that, and there's no research showing that a horse knows when he's run away, run a race or no research showing that the horse feels good when he has won a competition. There's no doubt that when a crowd of people cheer, there's a physical energy that skims out. It's a lift. So obviously I said before that horses feel this lift. They feel this lift in emotion from people. Yep. So they get a sense of, gee, something positive has happened. So esteeming your horse, he's, when he's feeling good about himself, now when he's confident, when he's happy, and you can tell that by looking at them in the paddock, they're cantering around, they're feeling good, they're happy. You can tell that when you're on them when he's feeling good. They'll give you that feedback. Yes. I'm not going to talk about the last one, self-actualization, because that's a very human trait. Mm-hmm. And at this stage, I don't think horses have the capability. I maybe proved a lot wrong down the track. Capability to understand the concept of that. Because let's face it, self-actualization is something that most humans struggle with. So let's not talk about that. But certainly those first four are very powerful, I think, when it comes to understanding your horse and individual needs. Now, something else that I want to talk about with your individual horse and understanding your individual horse is the concept of antecedent. And that is the horse that you have today is a consequence of everything that has gone before. Mm. Mm. Yes. Whether that be yesterday, last yep. year, or five years ago. Yep. So everything good that has happened to your horse, everything bad that has happened to your horse, makes him the horse that he is today. And a certain behaviour that your horse has today is a consequence of how he's been brought up, what he's been exposed to, what he's gone through. So you need to understand that your horse is behaving in this way because of something that's gone before. So if I can give you an example of a horse, one of the horses here, when we got him, we couldn't put shoes on him. He wouldn't let us touch his feet. And after a lot of work, we we actually were able to lift his feet. But, but it gets back to the fact that this horse didn't trust people. He'd been mistreated before and obviously must have had his feet tied up at some stage. So he had a real thing about his feet. And that wasn't what we did to him. It was what happened to him before he came to us. And he had that memory. He obviously has a high degree of trust now, but we had to recognise that this poor horse is behaving because of the way he's been treated. So everything that stands before you in your beautiful, big, noble beast, his reactions to you, his behaviour is a consequence of what's gone before. And you have an impact. So how you interact with your horse today affects how he will be tomorrow. Be aware of that. So your interaction with your horse has a long-standing effect, be it positive or negative. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's antecedent. And that's probably a little bit about the individual. So getting to know your horse individually, getting to mm-hmm. know for him what, how you can communicate with him, how you, what sort of food he likes, where he likes to uh, eat, where he likes to stand in the paddock, how he likes to be approached, how he likes to be petted, how he likes to be ridden, what equipment he likes to be ridden in. So some, we've got one horse here that will not have a Western head stall on, a rope head stall. He will not have a Western. But the others have, obviously, we talk about antecedents. We don't, he's had a bad experience with so we actually don't use that type of head stall on him. We use one of the traditional, more standard head stalls with him. 
Um, so again, it's about knowing your horse as an individual, what they do and don't like, and understanding that the horse is a consequence of his antecedents, what's gone before, and treat him as an individual because they're all so different with their horse analogies. Yep, yep, for sure, for sure. So let's talk about the third function of a leader, and that's to develop and support the team. And that's you and your horse. That's your relationship. Do you think of your horse as a team, mm. or do you think them simply as a tool to achieve a job? In effect, for you have a great relationship with your horse or a team, and that's about having a shared goal, a shared outcome. And it could be simply spending time together. We talk about shared goals as something big and huge, but they can be as simple as I'm just going to be today. I'm just going to stand next to you and be. I don't have to actually go and jump that six-foot rail. So your team, for most of us, is just us and our horse. But if you have a crew, a support crew, a husband, a father, a wife, a mother, a strapper, your driver, mm-hmm. they're all part of your team as well. And it's important not to look, not to forget them and include them as part of your team and have activities that you involve the whole team in and communicate with the whole team. So, so we've got the immediate team, which is you and your horse, and then you've got the wider team, which is your support network. And the more that you can make your support network feel like a part of your team, then the greater support that they will give you. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. So it's about that teamwork. And and giving your, for example, your, your mother feedback, oh, look, thank you so much, that uh, that shirt that you sewed to me with a number on the back, it lasted all day and didn't come off. That was excellent. Mm. I really appreciate you. So it's acknowledging other members of the team, how they contribute to your success. So I want you to think about your whole team and think about how you can acknowledge and recognize each person on your team because without them, you're not a success. And if I can draw your attention to some great teams, you look at Belegro and Charlotte Dujas and, oh, my goodness, that that freestyle dressage that she performed with the, at those Olympic Games was just incredible. She couldn't have achieved that by herself. It's through teamwork. Stacey Westfall's bareback, bridalist, freestyle reigning performance. My goodness, to be able to do that, just the teamwork that's involved in something like that's incredible. If either of those riders treated their horses as simply a tool to achieve a task, they would not have received those results. So it's a true team event. It's a true team effort, and it's to watch to watch a team perform like that. It makes your heart soar because you know it's just not one person. That there's a whole group of people behind that, and their hard work have resulted in this in this result. So I'm very passionate about teams because I yes. I, I believe that that we all get great results by working as a team, and that that applies to yeah. our yeah, I think in that leadership context, of course, there's no point being a leader if you haven't got a team. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, look, if you if you have horses, you know, too, that part of the team is making sure that the horses are treated fairly. Now, you know, I've got five horses here, and I know that if one sees another horse getting hay and he doesn't, he, he cracks it. You know, <laughs> he really gets his nose out of joint. They want to be treated fairly, and, and when we're talking about teamwork with teams, it's about treating all your horses fairly. It's about making sure if they can see each other that they're not believing that one gets more attention because they're very intelligent cognitive animals. I think there's a lot more to horses' ability 
to take in and to think and to react than what we give them credit for. I think there's a huge amount of research that needs to be go, to going on there. But they certainly, certainly know when, they, when they're missing out on something that another horse is getting, being at attention or being obviously in particular food. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, treat your horses fairly. If you've got more than one, share your love is what I'm saying. Um, share your love equally between them all because they, they pick that up. Yes. So we, we talked about the three functions that a yeah. leader has, which is, you know, getting the task done, talking about knowing the individual horse on your team, and also developing that team relationship, identifying who is on your team and then making everyone feel a part of that team. But the other thing that a leader has to do and, and what brings this, ties us together are the relationship skills. So around the task area, there's four particular relationship skills that a leader has to have, and this is so, so important with horses. You've got to have trust, you've got to have communication, you've got to have respect and confidence. And those four soft skills, we'll call them soft skills, but they, they may be called soft, but they're so hard to enact, are the skills that an effective leader needs to communicate and connect. And that's for you to communicate and connect with your horse as well as people around you. So um, I might start with trust, if that's okay. Yes. Um, and, and the reason I start off with trust is I, I believe trust is the cornerstone of every relationship. Mm-hmm. Now, look at your horse. Your horse is a prey animal. If he doesn't trust you, he's going to buck you off. You're a predator. You're a predator on his back. For the horse to let you as a predator catch him, entire piece of dead animal around his head in the form of a bridle. Mm-hmm. Then you strap another dead animal to his back in the form of a saddle. And then you climb on his back like a predator attacking. I think that requires a really extraordinary level of trust when you think about that their evolution. Even when the horse lets you pick up his feet, this is trust. He's given you one of his flight or fight tools. So the horse has to have trust that you are going to provide a safe environment for him, that you're not going to hurt him, that you're not going to harm him. And we know in humans that trust generates or oxytocin facilitates trust. And oxytocin is, is, if you like, our love hormone. And when you're around horses, it's actually amazing how we do tend to feel a degree of trust towards the horse. Just touching the horse produces oxytocin for us, the, the sense of touch produces that neurochemical. So we want the horse to have that same reaction around us. We want the horse to trust and to relax around us. And you know how a, how a horse relaxes. He puts his head down, he lifts, lifts his, uh, cocks his back foot, he slow blinks. To have a horse around you that demonstrates that behaviour says that he trusts you. And trust takes time, though. You know, Just as in human relationships, the horse isn't going to trust you immediately. You need to be absolutely aware of the cues that you're giving out, your voice, your body movements, your nonverbal cues. Be consistent. One of the one of the worst things you can actually do is change your behaviour from day to day. You know, one day you're you're soft and sensitive, and the next day you're hard and and quite aggressive. That in itself will mean that the horse won't, won't trust you. They won't know where they stand, just as if someone did that to you. So one of the things to engender trust is think about how you're projecting and, and ensure that projection is, is consistent, that the horse can rely on you. 
that the horse knows through your body language, the cues that you're giving, that you're not going to to be there to attack him, providing that psychologically safe environment for that horse to be the best you can. Mm -hmm. Now, I think the second soft skill that a leader needs is communication. And whether it's humans or horses, communication goes both ways, us to the horse and the horse to us. I love the um, I love the quote. I can't remember who said it, and Glenn, you might be able to to tell me. The horses are talking. Just listen. Yeah, yeah. I love I love that because the horse, as I said earlier, he's looking at the cues that you're giving out that you're obviously unaware of a lot of the time. But just as the horse is watching you, you need to be watching the horse. And I don't think this is something that we do well enough as humans. I don't think we are reading the horse's cues. I think that was Monty Roberts said that. Ah, uh, the horse are talking just listen. And that would mm. make sense because mm. communication is his area of expertise. Um, I mentioned earlier that I went to a conference in, in Tucson, Arizona earlier this year, and there was a lady there, Carrie Brady, and she was talking about how she talks to her horses. And I was thinking, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll listen to this. But what she had to say was really amazing. Um and it might, I might be a bit la-la for some of you out there, but it was really interesting. I'm going to share a couple of the things that she said, if you don't mind. So she said that what you have to do is you have to let your horse know that you're listening to the horse. And most horses, though, unfortunately, have shut down from humans because horses believe horse, humans aren't listening. And they're, and they're quite right because we have our own agenda. Usually we go in and deliver that. And she actually said that the very first thing you can actually do with your horse to show him that you're listening is ask him a question. When you're with your horse again, ask him, where are you itching? Stand there and say, where are you itching? And within a minute or two, he may swing his nose around and touch himself somewhere, on his shoulder, on his flank. And she said, then scratch that. Go and scratch there. And then go back and watch the horse and ask him the same question. Say, where else are you you itching? (laughs) He'll swing his head again, scratch there, and suddenly the horse will go, oh, my goodness, this person is listening to me. And um, it's actually interesting because I came back to Australia and I tried that with one of my horses. And he did it. It was amazing. And this, is, this happens to be a very highly sensitive horse anyway. And it was incredible. So he communicates with me. Every, I have no idea sometimes what he's trying to say. But this particular horse um, tells me when he doesn't want his blanket on. I know that sounds really weird, but if, if I go and grab the blanket and pop it on, he takes a step backwards. He doesn't yeah. want it on. Okay. But if he just stands there, he wants it on. And it's amazing. Now that I know, I realise oh, you're, you're telling me this all the time through your subtle body movements. And it's actually really interesting that, you know, my eye has been open now about how frequently our horses communicate with us, picking up the cues of the horses. Um, and something else Kerry Brady said, and I do this now as well, and again, this might sound a little bit weird, but... I tell my horses now what's happening to them that day, what's expected of them. So when I give them their morning feed, I might say, now, look, I've got the farrier coming today, so I need you to be good and lift up all your feet and let him trim your feet. Or I might say, oh, look, I have a workshop today. We've got seven people coming here. You'll be coming up to the house at around about midday or mid-morning to meet these people. Now, look, I don't know if that makes it, if, if they actually understand what I've said, but it makes a difference. They're karma. They seem to accept what is happening to them. Now, look, I I perhaps think it's more so to do with me that by articulating clearly to the horse, I have a goal in my mind and I'm therefore 
more confident about what I'm doing and this expresses in my body language, I don't know. But by communicating with the horse and telling them this is what I'm going to do, it does it has a positive outcome. Okay. So yeah. I don't know what's in it. It's so <laughs> communicate with your horse just as he communicates with you, you communicate Kate back. What you need to do, what everyone needs to do, and I, I've got five horses and I must admit I don't do this with, with every horse. There is one horse in particular I know really well that is develop a deep understanding of your horse's body language. Understand what that is with means. Understand what that slight extension of the of the nose means. Understand what the the hoof pouring at the ground in one particular area means. Get to know that because they are trying to communicate with you. Spend time with them. Just watch them. Let them know you're listening. And uh, it's amazing what they will tell you. So I'm sorry to be if I'm sounding a bit lower. I am not. I'm not esoteric. Um, but for some reason, this this works, and I'm yet to find out find the research as to why it works. So, but as um, you say, even, even if it's just that you're you're communicating, you've got it in your head. You're you're organised, yes. And then you go down and you talk to your horses, and because you've told them what's happening, you're ready, and that makes you calmer. Um, then exactly. if that works, then that's okay. Yeah, look, absolutely. And that gets back to the audio motor that I'm actually giving out the physical cues when I go mm. collect them and bring them up and uh, standing there with the farrier getting uh, getting their seat done. So, yeah, it's, so talking to your horse isn't a bad thing. It clarifies in your own mind exactly what it is that you're, that you're going to achieve or that you're planning or that you're doing. So I would yeah. encourage everyone to do it. Um, yes. Respect. Now, again, this is two-way. You need to have respect for your horse. He's a huge sentiment animal with incredible abilities and the horse needs to respect you. He needs to do as you ask him to do. So respect is about setting boundaries, whether it's in the workplace or at home or in relationships or with your horse. We have to have boundaries for a healthy relationship to exist. Okay, yep. So one of the big, one of the big things is your horse has to respect your body space and not come in and push you over and stand on you. So one of the big things with respect is having the horse not barge into you to respect your body language. And it's actually interesting because a lot of people associate respect and getting respect with inflicting fear into the horse or demanding or, or, or infect, in, in being too hard on the horse. But it's not. It's about establishing boundaries. And establishing boundaries, even with your kids, is hard. And you do feel guilty about that. But you've got to get, you've got to set boundaries with your horse. You've got to let your horse know that, know that is unacceptable instantly, that instant feedback, just as you let your, your family and the people you work with and your children know what the boundaries are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm going to quote Buck Braderman here because he's got a, a great comment about discipline. A discipline is not a dirty word. Far from it. Discipline is the one thing that separates us from chaos and acting. Discipline applies timing. It is the precursor to good behaviour. People who associate discipline with punishment are wrong. With discipline, punishment is unnecessary. So I'm not talking about punishment. I'm not talking about going out and hitting your horse because you did something wrong. I'm not talking about punishment. I'm talking about discipline. And that discipline might simply be asking the horse to take a step back out of your space. It's yes. about drawing that line. Yeah. And so I know that you've had people on your show that have talked about positive and negative reinforcement with horses. And, you know, the positive is giving the horse something he wants. 
whereas a negative reinforcement is, is removing an adversive stimulus. Mm-hmm. For example, you know, if I'm pulling on my left rein, the horse yields that way and then instantly I let go of that left rein. That's negative reinforcement. So negative reinforcement is not punishment. Mm. It's about the release of, of pressure at the right time. I think the negative reinforcement, the reason people got a bit mixed up, it's to do with the word and, and I think the scientists that um, did it did it more as a maths equation, you know, this is positive, this ah, is yes. negative. So it's it's not negative yep. as in the way that we necessarily think negative, it's negative in the way of a maths equation. Yep. Okay, great. Well, thank, thank I didn't realise that. <laughs> so it, establish boundaries with your horse. You know, don't let them get away with, with bad behaviour. Um, act on it immediately and put make the horse get out of your space. And there's, there's, I'm not telling you how to do this because there's yep. a huge amount of resources available. Um, so I'm actually giving you a framework and what fits in with in this framework is whatever tools or whatever method you decide that you want to follow. You know, whether it be um, a methodology by, you know, Ian Francis, for example, or whether it be a, a dressage approach, et cetera, it's up to you. So this is simply a framework for you to hang all of this on. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other thing that you have, have to be around your horse when we talk about relationships, the fourth component of a relationship is confidence. And I think this is one of the big areas where a lot of people have have some challenges is having confidence around a horse, both on your horse and of your horse. So it's two ways. The horse also needs to have confidence in you that you're going to be a leader that's going to take them in the right direction, that's going to keep them safe from harm, that's going to protect them. So confidence in yourself can be so easily eroded. I know after I had my son, it obviously took a while to get back into the saddle, and my confidence was eroded absolutely. And it takes a matter of baby steps to get back your confidence. And there's a whole range of training providers out there that specifically work in that building the confidence between horse and rider area. But even if, if you're on the ground, you need to be confident around your horse. If you're not confident, you have got 500 kilograms of flesh and blood standing there and going, no, I'm not going to do what you want to do. You don't believe in yourself. You're not confident. I'm not going to do it either. Yes. So confidence, confidence is about going, no, this is the right thing to do. I want you to do this. I know you can do it. Don't confuse confidence with aggression, though, because it's not about that. It's being strong and secure that this is the right thing to do, and yeah, I can do this. Mm-hmm. So confidence, one of the big building confidence is also through knowledge. The more knowledge you have, the more confident you become. And this is your space, Glenn, as I know, with with where you focus, which is building people's knowledge base. And once you build people's knowledge, transferring that into action, and once you enact something, it increases your confidence. So the first step with confidence is knowledge. Go and get as much knowledge as possible. And the next step is putting it into action. And it might be a tiny little action. It might be a small success. If I can give you an example of when I conduct workshops here, most of the people that come out, bearing in mind they're executive corporate groups, um, are absolutely afraid of walking around behind a horse. Mm. And what we actually do is we we talk about trust. I show them the right way to do it. I be as close as possible. And we get them to actually go up and touch the horse's rump, first of all, and then go back, and then progressively walk around. And once they walk around, they have this great big smile because it's like they've achieved this 
massive thing. Now, bear in mind that us as horse people, we sort of take it for granted, but for people who have never been around a horse that believe that horses kick, have them walk around behind a horse is a huge psychological step in building their confidence. Yeah. So when we're talking about being around your horse and doing something that extends your confidence, it could be that you're with a canter. You only have to take a couple of steps and then you can ease back into into a trot. Mm-hmm. Next time you go, take a few more steps. So with confidence, it's about doing it, but doing it in a way that we have small wins and you can build on that. Yes. But your horse has to be confident. And he you've got to have confidence that your horse knows what to do. Don't micromanage your horse. Don't tell him where to put every step. Obviously, if you're doing a, a high-level Grand Prix dressage test, that's a little bit different. But when you're out with your horse every day, if you try to micromanage him, then he'll get frustrated and he'll have display certain behaviours that will result in, in your losing confidence. And I just want to share something with you um, that I think is fabulous for building your confidence around horses. And that's some concept that Steve Halfpenny has put forward. And he's got a concept called the 100-mile walk. And I don't know if anyone's heard of this. You may well have already discussed this previously. But what Steve Halfpenny says is that schedule to take your horse for a walk for 100 miles over one month. Don't don't ride your horse. This is just walking along beside him with a lead rope, going through different terrains. About three miles a day, and if we want to convert that to um, to kilometres to do so, uh, you might start to take on a 100-kilometre challenge. It's actually interesting because what that does is it builds the horse's confidence in you and you and the horse because you're spending time together. You're leading that horse across various terrain. You're taking him through areas that he may have been scared of before, for example, going through uh, whether it be a, a pond or whether it be through a creek. And then he builds his confidence, which therefore builds your confidence. And, and it's it's funny how it's a very circular thing. But I recommend that. That 100-mile walk, I think, is a fabulous concept for helping build confidence both ways. So we've talked about the relationship side of, of being a leader, which is about having confidence, building trust, ensuring respect is both ways, and communicating. But there's one thing that ties this all together, and this is what separates a great leader from a mediocre leader, and that's consistency, and that's doing the same things day in, day out, regardless. And, and I'm thinking about the uh, the diagram that you had, Helen. You know, you've got that, and the yes. consistency is just the extra circle on the outside that says this has all got to be held together with consistency. It ties it together, consistency. You know, look, anyone that works with horses and that's training a horse knows it's about consistency day in, day out. But if we tie it back to what we started with with self, it's about being consistent in your behaviours and the way you turn up every day. It's being consistent in in the way you reinforce or the way you communicate, consistent with your behaviours. And if you're consistent, then that will create consistency in the horse's behaviour back to you. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So no, I think that's, being that's consistent. Good. Yeah. And I think, as you said, you know, differentiating between a good leader and a great leader. And I think, Helen, you know, I mean, your your specialty is leadership and you've sort of tied it all together and brought in the whole um, equine component. So uh, I think that's something where, yeah. you know, you're quite unique there. Yeah. 
So, so the concept of leadership EQ, it's mm. a double whammy. It also, also is a play on the concept of emotional quotient EQ, um, yes. which is about control, un, understanding yourself, controlling yourself, reading others and responding appropriately. Yep. But it's also yep. a play on EQ for equine. Yes, um, because yes. It, I, I think from my previous story, if it wasn't for my interaction with horses, I wouldn't have come up with this particular framework. Mm, and it's mm. through that, uh, through through the horse relationship, that I've put this whole framework together. So, yes. so whilst it's designed for humans and a human leadership con- construct, it has absolute application to the horse human, mm. and that the human has to be the leader in the relationship and therefore has to have a framework that they understand. So remember I said to you right at the start that this is about being proactive and having a plan? Yes. So planning across each of those areas as a leader, what steps are you going to take in in that particular area? What am I going to do in the area of trust with my horse this month? What am I going to do in the area of task with my horse this month? What am I going to do in the area of self this month? What am I going to work on? So having a proactive plan of how you're going to work on your leadership relationship with your horse. And if you like, what I'll also do is send you a link to a template and I'll send you a completed one with a horse context so your your listeners can see if they want to develop their own proactive leadership plan for their relationship with their horse. Okay, that sounds perfect. Yeah, and those details will be on horsechats.com slash Helen Rogerson. To, or just go to Horse Chats and search for Helen. But, Helen, yeah, I'd like to get to, back to talk about the plan and, um, you know, how to do the plan, what can go right, what can go wrong, and, and how to fix some of those things. So it'd be great if we could get you back on again. Wonderful. So, look, as I said, I'll drop the sound for the plan. Um, Perfect. Some people are not planners and it won't be for everyone, but at mm-hmm. least it gives you an idea of, of you being a leader with your horse in your context. And if I can, as I said, if I can really encourage everyone, please be a leader for your horse. He needs it. All right. Helen, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for um, going through and and adapting your corporate life, your leadership, your management skills and bringing it across to horses. And, you know, I think that sort of can apply to quite a few different people within the horse industry that they can use that framework, you know, whether they use that framework to teach people within their own equine-assisted learning or if they use that framework just to think about how their leadership skills are impacted on their life around them as well. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you for coming on. You're welcome. You're welcome. And thank you for having me. Thanks, Glenn. No worries. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below. 